shut your yeah. I can know I need you. Yo, this is Yap Chicago. My name is Edgar Perez alongside uh, Leezy. What to do, baby? What's going on, guys? You can follow the show at Yap Chicago underscore on Twitter and on Instagram. You can also follow me at EP773, EP773 underscore on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's Lee's 922 on Twitter, and I don't know where my Instagram is, so just search at least. <laughs> you can also call the show at 312-985-6006 and leave your messages or your texts so we can play them on the show. And a big weekend uh, full of action in the sports world in Chicago. You had a bunch of fights. You had the UFC fights. We talked about the boxing on Friday's episode. The Sox came into the weekend hot. The Cubs looked to be on the right track, and then they played the Brewers. And then the Cubs went Dropped full two Cubs out of mode. three. Yeah. Fuck. Who knows? It's going to be an up-and-down roller coaster with the Cubs all year, obviously. Mostly down. I mean, I'm trying to remain positive, but Fuck that. you know they keep telling me morale, morale, morale. And I'm with it, but... Yeah, no. Yeah, ass. <laughs> God damn it, Lee's. <laughs> we talked to Dave Ross from Stadium. We had him on in the show before to preview UFC 259 last time. And he's going to come on to recap the fights that we just saw. UFC 261. Fantastic card. Bunch of knockouts. Broken legs. Dead legs everywhere. People folding like chairs. Body parts everywhere. It was, <laughs> it was a very interesting card to watch. Very entertaining card, I should say. Um, so we'll talk to him. More big news from the weekend. Well, two pieces here. The first part, we got shirts. If you follow us on Instagram, you saw it on my story. I reposted it on the Yap Chicago underscore story. Uh, hit us up if you want a shirt. If you want to support the show, hit us up. We'll let you know how you can get your hands on one. Nice and comfy. It's a limited supply because uh, we honestly didn't think or we didn't know how many shirts to order at first. We never, Either of us have never really sold merch before, but... So it's a limited supply. So if you want one, you want to help us out, support the show, just DM me or Lee's and we'll we'll get a shirt to you guys. Second piece of news, we actually have a sponsor. I swear we have a soundboard. Let's fucking go. Chicago. That's right. <laughs> yep, Chicago has a sponsor. Who is it? None other than Tribe Coffee Co. You've heard us talk about it in the past. Local Chicago company. We have some here. I've had it on the show before. If you're interested in supporting the show and also supporting local business, go to tribecoffeeco.com. Do I have to pay full price? That's where our promo code comes in. You select your order. You got five different coffees to choose from, and they also got mugs and stuff. So so go to tribecoffeeco.com, enter promo code YAPSHY, and get 10% off. Shout out, Tribe Coffee Co. That's just fire. Start your morning off right. You want to drink the stuff that we drink? Montezuma tequila? Probably not. <laughs> not that. But you're definitely going to want Tribe Coffee Co. So TribeCoffeeCo.com. Should give you a jolt of energy just like fucking Michael Kopech's right arm, baby. He was fucking nasty. Fucking electric was stuff. Was it Sunday? Sunday yeah. spot start. What happened to Giolito? Um, I think they just pushed his um his game back just to kind of give him a little bit more time from the ass whooping he took on Monday. I saw something <laughs> about a finger cut. Or some? No, he's shit? he's he's scheduled to pitch on Tuesday. Was that a rumor? You sure? Yeah. All right, I'm gonna believe you. He he wanted to face the Tigers instead. <laughs> Get his ERA down. Judging by the way Copa looked, I mean the Rangers didn't really have an answer for him either. 
No, he's gonna win twenty games and get twenty saves this year. He's the most <laughs> he's the most fucking beautiful pitcher out there, man. We actually I went to the game, so I was there live. Seeing his stuff, man, it actually pops out. It is kind of scary. We had pretty good seats. Uh shout out Cat. He was on our Friday episode. He actually got the tickets. But in all honesty, you see you see other people pitch high nineties. His stuff just looks different because it's also moving. Yep. So it's it's a little bit scary because you'll see a two-seam fastball that's going like 97 miles per hour. Like, how the fuck are people <laughs> going to hit that? Yeah, Kopech went five innings, struck out 10. Only threw 87 pitches because obviously he's on a pitch count. They're trying to keep his his pitches low. They're trying to keep that arm fresh as he's coming along. But his first seven outs were strikeouts. Which I actually made a, not a bet, but I said beforehand when I got there, if he gets five strikeouts, I'm actually going to buy his jersey and... The second, so fucking second inning. Inning. <laughs> the fucking second inning, I had to leave and get a jersey. Yeah, those 10 strikeouts he got, he had them by the fourth. It's not like he needed even that fifth that fifth inning to get the they 10. Just, they just wanted to get it on the dub, I think. Yeah, but yeah, Kopech was, has been nasty recently in his, in his two spot starts that he had. And, right. and he, even even as a relief pitcher, he was doing really well. So it, it's crazy how they're going to be able to use him as like an all-around pitcher. I think I said in one of our first baseball podcasts that they're going to try to use him as like Andrew Miller type. Well, he's fucking absolutely killing it right now. Um, so it's crazy that we have the best hitter ever in the world and the best pitcher ever in the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yerminator's keeping keeping hot. He had a five for or four for four batting batting day on Friday, I believe it was. He had that Yerminator burger. Yep. He's fucking. I mean, the team the team feels obviously it's just against the Rangers, but you got to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, right? So my thing is, they're starting to round a little bit better. The thing that still fucking scares me is the fact that Hendricks is pitching like ass. He gave up two yeah. home runs. Yeah, we saw him give up the blow the save win for wasn't Saturday? Saturday. Saturday night, and then they he still ended up getting the win, you know, for Nikki two strikes. True. With the walk off. <laughs> after ta- after I was talking shit about him. It happened twice this weekend. Yep. Superstitious. <laughs> oh my god. That's my new superstition. That's thing. a new superstition. I mean, so on Friday, I was talking shit about Nick Madrigal, and then he pulls a nasty-ass double play. Yeah. And then on Saturday, I started talking shit about him. I'm like, dude, he can't even hit the fucking ball at the infield. And then he hits the game winner, baby. <laughs> That's going to be my new thing. I can't I can't overuse it, so I'm just going to use it. So I'm going to use it like Kopech. spots? I, I'm going to use it like Kopech. <laughs> I'm going to do spot starts for it. You can't, wear off that, you can't wear out that superstition too much, too quickly. No, but they're going to start up a, a series with the Tigers. Uh, so it's... Hopefully, I mean, hopefully we keep the ball rolling and and keep getting these dubs because we're in second place right now. I mean, I know it's still fucking early to be looking at standings and whatnot, but when you're when you came in so hyped as a team, like you want to see that record reflect that. Um, which I'm glad the Cubs are fucking dead already. I wouldn't say dead, just D E D. You know, hovering around five hundred ish. It's early. It's early. Ten and twelve. That's around there. Two games, two games out of five hundred are fine. Why? Why do your voice go up like five octaves? Because you know it's, it's it's baseball, man. It's one day at a time, <laughs> one game at a time. It's one sixty two. Are you actually, are you actually you scared? No, 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 no. Fuck that morale shit. Use your <laughs> use your brain. In all honesty, am I scared? No, not scared. But are you starting to second guess the team for playoffs? Because it is early, but they haven't for play. It's they just they haven't shown much. Our division's just so shitty. <laughs> you know, now if you would have phrased that question, are, are you still not confident in what you're seeing? 
The answer is yes, because our starting pitching has been has been great. Jake Arrieta is literally our best pitcher right now, which he's, which is terrifying. Yeah, yeah that's because awesome. there's no way Jake can hold up that long. Like twenty twenty one, Kyle, what the fuck's going on with you? Zach Davies pitching like ass. He's pitching like himself. <laughs> I mean, his numbers in San Diego weren't terrible, no, right? When you looked at them, like overall. No, so I saw that and I was like, oh, okay, can make that work. His style kind of reminds me of like an Irvin Santana where he's just an innings eater. I'm not sure. Pull up his. Which Irvin Santana, friend of the podcast, he follows me on Twitter. What up? <laughs> what up, Irvin? I mean, he follows, he, follow everyone? he follows everyone on Twitter, but still, what up, baby? I should go follow and see if I get a follow. Man, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, Cubs today even. they. Yeah, Zach Davies has a 12.27 ERA, which I don't think is good. I, yeah, I'm not a big only stats only four guy. Strikeouts. In, big stats guy in baseball, but you know. It's that it doesn't it's not, seem it's like it's not, trending it's well, <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of weird because even today they gave up what four runs in the first inning. Yep, I mean at least you guys kept it close. <laughs> I know it sounds like condescending, but like that ass, it was eight to seven. You guys, I mean, if if there's a four run first inning, most of the time you're like, fuck it, I'm gonna chalk this up as a loss. But what Chris Bryant had a home run or which a I, grand slam? Which honestly, I I kind of did. I was watching the game when it started, and they. And the Braves scored four right away, and I was like, "All right, cool. I could go. I could go open this box of shirts that I got in the mail now." <laughs> the next thing you know, Chris Bryant hits a grand slam in the third to tie it. Which, by the way, my MLB app has been kind of acting up because I didn't get that alert right away. I saw I was four zero. I kind of tuned out. Normally, I'll, I'll get the alerts, and I don't even think that one came in. Really? Yeah, because I I got the alert when um, when Rizzo tied it at five five. So you were just like, "What the fuck?" Who yeah, I was like, "What the fuck happened?" So it's like, <laughs> turn it back on the game side, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess." But then Freddie Freeman hits a three-run okay. home run to make it eight-five, and I was like, oh, "Okay, all right, what's going on?" I mean, a a good sign for you guys was Nico was actually playing really well. Nico's been good since he got called up. Yeah, been really good. Not a urinator good, but well, real good. Not all of us can have a burger <laughs> named after us. Murphy's get on it. They sell burgers. Have been to Murphy's Bleaches in forever. I haven't either. <laughs> Cubby Bear, is that still there? I've probably only been drunk there. <laughs> oh, man. Contreras' home run only ended up going 456. 456, which yeah. is very misleading because on the graphic on the 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 graphic on the screen when he hit it, it said 491. Yeah, when he said like, that, I was what like, the what? Fuck? Jesus Holy fucking shit. Christ. Check his bet. Fucking, <laughs> yeah, Sammy Sosa's bet and shit. Overall, though, I would say, you know, pretty good weekend. Two Cubs losses, three, three White Sox wins. Just can't. The you type. just can't not. Should talk, huh? No, got no. I mean, you know the Cubs are average, and yet you're like, ha you're average. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, we. It, uh, it's the first time we kind of expected that. <laughs> it's the first time also that the White Sox have been good while the Cubs have been bad in a long time. I think we even started shit talking on Saturday, and I kept saying, I don't even know what a game six is. Yeah. All that shit. You yeah, know. the the yeah, I know. Yeah, the comebacks you guys had for the last fifteen years or whatever. Yeah, you know when you can rest on only losing once uh, in uh-huh. the postseason. What, 15 years ago? We were in high school? Yep. We're old as fuck now, boy. That's true. Don't forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> Literally twice the time. Yeah. Fucking 30. Exactly. So it's cool when we win this year, you know. We'll, we'll let you on the bandwagon. I'll stay off. You're already wearing. I'll, I'll cheer you guys on. You're already wearing a white and black shirt. Dude, all know? I wear is black. Let's fucking go. No, my wife, I, I fold my clothes and my wife looks at my shirts and you're like, you, need, you really need. Hello, darkness, a lot of color friend. in your life. Like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, I like dark colors. Let me know. Another piece of news: Andrew Shaw retires. 
Did you it's see awesome. that emotional uh, video that the Blackhawks put out? Yeah, I think it was like a four-minute video, right? Yeah, right in the morning. On Monday morning, it was too emotional. I was drinking my Tribe Coffee Co., tearing up. So what was the actual reason he retired? Concussions. Concussions. Do- doctors told him, hey, man, you're getting scrambled up there. You better stop. So was it? And he's only like 28, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, he was like the kind of enforcer of the team for a little bit. Enforcer's a strong uh, label there. I don't know. He was, he was just he, scrappy. He was always done. Like, he was always down to fucking yeah. get tussle. Get that. Get those greasy goals in front of the net. Yeah. You know? Get into a couple of fights. No, Andrew Shaw definitely was, uh, as he called it, kind of like the runt of the team. He was the mutt of the team, which, again, he also said that when he came into Chicago, he realized that his style of play really plays to the kind of blue-collar mentality of Chicago. And call it corny, call it cliche or whatever, but he really was he that was kind of fit. player on those championship teams for the Blackhawks. Yeah, he was the prototypical guy that does all the dirty work, makes yep. makes the stars like uh, like Kaner and like Taves look a little bit better just because he's doing doing that small stuff. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Corey Crawford also go through a bout with concussions as well? I'm not sure. I think that's why he like missed a complete year or two, and then we ended up letting him go. I want to say that's true, but that's that's kind of crazy how two of like the top guys on the team basically left or are leaving because of concussions. I'm pretty sure Corey Crawford had that. Yeah, so they even have a timeline on SB Nation. Corey Crawford's concussion timeline. Suffered, suffered two in less than a year, and that's just in that one year that he got those. Uh, he had one in 2017 all the way to 2019. Uh, 2017, December 23rd, was his last game of the season. They put him on injury reserve, and they don't say why. And then, but that was tied to his concussions. Yeah, and they. This is the fucking awesome thing about hockey. They put it as an upper body injury. <laughs> so he had, he was dealing with vertigo like some vertigo like symptoms and could miss the rest of the season. This was in 2018. He was suffering from post concussion syndrome. So that's two of the top guys from those championship teams that were that are out now because of concussions. So that's it's fucking crazy. I wouldn't even expect that. Especially from a goalie. Yeah, it's an unfortunate part of any sport, really, not just hockey. I mean, these guys are literally putting their bodies on the line. And and we're calling them bums and, and shit. Yeah, <laughs> we're calling them out when they're literally fighting. And hockey players are some of the toughest son of a bitches in any sport, man. Yeah, and I feel like they're actually really down to earth, too. They, yeah. They, they seem, their shit talking is always the funniest. Because <laughs> they all have accents? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Like, <laughs> like, the shit that they say, it's, like, over the line. But... Everyone says it, so everyone like doesn't give a fuck. Like yeah. if if half of the shit that they said would happen on an NBA court, there'd be fucking fights. Yeah, like throwing hands. Yeah, it's it's funny. They're like the the nicest, meanest, toughest people that just leave it on the ice. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. Fucking Schauser. Shout out Schauser. Yeah, shout out to Andrew Shaw and everything he did for the Blackhawks. It was a it was a ton of fun watching him, watching him in his career and those in those championship runs too. I'm not a enormous hockey guy but obviously everyone got sucked into the Blackhawks run when they were good and you know I was definitely tuning in and he was definitely a player that caught your eye it was fun to watch him I'm not a huge hockey hockey guy as well but those were fun ass times especially going out to bars while they were they were getting two goals in 16 minutes 16 seconds and shit to win the cup or Andrew Shaw's iconic headbutt goal yeah the cabecita allegedly it didn't count though (laughs) should have counted that was a great goal (laughs) (laughs) Not just players, also other teams that left it on the field this weekend. The we got a 
we got treated to another electric series between the Padres and the Dodgers. I, I swear, man, it's it's almost unfair to have those series on back to back weekends, especially this early in the season. They're just providing electric games, and Fernando Tatis was just on another level, hitting what five home runs in, in three games. Five home runs, three games, two two and one, I believe it was. Guy was sick. And you know what? It's it's always going to suck because you already know that's going to be the shit talk that that White Sox fans always have to hear that he was in our <laughs> system and fucking traded him for Jake Shields, like James Shields, James Shields, yeah. Ah, uh, who can forget James fucking Shields? Big game, James. And he played no big games for us. Like <laughs> it's when we sucked. <laughs> big ERA game, James. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no. But I I actually said it at the end of the Dave Ross interview that. I'd be okay if they put that shit on a pay-per-view, Padres versus Dodgers. All, all the games have been exciting. It's not like they're fucking massive blowouts or anything. They've been competitive, all of them. There's fucking shit talk between Tatis and Bauer. Yep. I mean, what bat flips all around, homers. You got Mookie Betts. You got fucking Tatis, Machado. You got a bunch of uh, position players that are really well, and that's, that's before Cody Bellinger even comes back from the IL for the Dodgers. That's... It's going to be an awesome series that they have, especially since they're division rivals. Yeah. That shit's going to be awesome the whole year. Yeah, it was a hell of a series. And uh, part of it I love was Trevor Bauer's comments about Fernando Tatis celebrating on him. And it was silent because we just literally had this conversation a couple episodes ago about the increased shit talk between these two teams and what it could mean for MLB. For MLB, for the excitement of the game, for just the overall attraction for baseball. Yeah, it honestly reminds me of like the early 2000s Yankees Red Sox where you can see that there is something different in that series because they're both competitive. They both look like they're going to be championship material teams. Mm-hmm. And there's something brewing there where they they kind of already don't like each other. And yeah, I, but I think it feels different to me. It's it's competitiveness. It's a competitive fire, not just a you oh, know, we fucking a, hate Boston. I we fucking hate you and I'm a charge them out or throw a ball at you but it might get there like with all the bat flips and shit i think if trevor bauer wasn't on the dodgers it might have already if he what if he wasn't on the dodgers because he with his comments that he gave and we'll play him later for dave ross because me and dave and tyler when we were when we were all working together at stadium we kind of had these conversations a lot just about like those cool mentality of, of throwing at of throwing at batters and you know charging them out and fights and all that stuff but trevor bauer with his comments really diffused it Defused it, but also like played it up as a sense of like, no, this is cool. Let's do this, but let's keep it on the field, right? He was talking about Fernando Tatis covering his eye when he homered off Bauer, and it's in reference to Bauer only using one eye to pitch to him in, in spring, spring training. training and getting him out, and then oh. him and then him doing the Bauer slash Vince McMahon slash Conor McGregor strut right. uh, as he crossed home plate. I mean, like we said, Tatis was on another level this weekend. Yeah, two home runs against Clayton Kershaw. Two home runs against Trevor Bauer. Like, have a fuck, have yourself a fucking weekend, Fernando Tatis. <laughs> Man, I really wish he was on my team in, in our minor league system. Instead of James Shields? Would have never traded him away. I don't know who would do that. Yeah, kind of like James Quintana for uh, Eloy. Jose, but, you know, it's fine. Yeah, Jose Quintana, whatever. Damn, I'm fucking tired. You just hate shitty pitchers. You just like it's not even worth remembering their names. Yeah, I'm fucking, I'm fucking tired, man. You know? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm fucking fucking up names and shit. Can I offer you some of this tribe coffee, Co? Yes, yes, please. Here you go. Glug 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 glug. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. You can't see us, but we do have a a little coffee Co spread in honor of our new uh, sponsor here. Like I said earlier in the show, if you want to get your coffee, head to tribecoffeeco.com. 
Select your coffees, select your mugs, get a mug, they're cool mugs. At checkout, enter promo code YAPSHY for 10% off. That'll sure as hell wake you up. You know what else would wake me up? Watching those fights again from the UFC 261. Oh, man. That fight was, we saw that at What a fucking card, man. All, all, five, all five fights in that main card, stoppages, knockouts. You got broken legs, dead legs everywhere. Like I said, <laughs> body parts are everywhere. You know what? I'm glad we have an expert that's actually doing pre and post fight with us now. And we actually have a special guest. I know you called him out already earlier because, you know, someone has to be a professional around here. We ain't. <laughs> yeah, we sat down with Dave Ross. He does a, a great job covering the UFC for stadium. He actually has a new postcard uh, show coming out, too, right on Tuesday. Yeah. And he's also doing as a addition to the preview episodes that he does with Ricardo Lamas and Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk. He's now also doing a post-fight show. So you're actually getting a preview of what to expect on that post-game show that Dave's going to be on where he hosts it again with Ricardo Lamas and CM Punk on Watch Stadium. So without further ado, here's Dave Ross. And we're joined now by Dave Ross. You can follow, he's been on the show before, but you can also follow him on Twitter, at DRossSports. To recap, UFC 261, a pack card, three championship fights. I mean, the whole main card was great. I mean, when you were at, we saw the whole thing. Well, first, first of all, I didn't get an invite from Megger or Lee's to go and watch the fight with you guys. So I'm going to not try not to take that personally. It's always good to rejoin you guys and talk fights with you. But I know we're in a pandemic and we're not supposed to get together and all that stuff. So I'll let that be the excuse this time why I didn't get the <laughs> invite to watch the fight with you guys. But I got to tell you, man, I mean, Edgar, you know from working with me and Lee's, you figured it out. I get hyped for this stuff. I mean, it just – there's something about it, having that live crowd in Jacksonville. Uh, the card was spectacular. I mean, the, from the very beginning, from the undercard, I mean, I watched, I think, six hours of fights all night. And Ooh. from the very first fight of the night, you could feel the energy and the fighters feeding off that energy of 15,000 fans live in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's why there's the difference between going to a sporting event where no fans have been allowed, and we understand why, to the energy you felt in that packed house on Saturday night, the fighters can feel it. Uh, the energy is a real thing. And it felt like this card was supercharged. Yes, three title fights and some really uh, good fights on the undercards as well. But just that mixture, and it just feels like people have been starved for live entertainment to go, let their hair down, have a beverage, and watch live sports. Man, it was just great for one night to feel like it usually feels. Just just one beverage, just just being clear? Only one beverage? Well, I, I mean, you know, you can, if you're an adult, just <laughs> you know, be responsible. But, uh, you know, I might have one or six, somewhere in that number as the night goes. Oh, that sounds right. a long fight card. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. You watch what? Would you say six hours of fights, five hours of fights? That's a long it's time. A, you know, one beer an hour is not going to hurt anybody. No, that's actually <laughs> the recommended amount per hour. That's so. I just don't think they recommend uh, <laughs> yeah. I just do it all at once. <laughs> <laughs> but, fellas, yeah, I mean, look, the undercards were great, but when you got to the main card, and with, sometimes what happens in the UFC is the undercards are so good that the main events uh, and the main card that the actual pay-per-view is on doesn't live up to it, right? This not lived up to it. It exceeded it, which was really hard because the undercard was really, really good. And that's what I think for the first time out to throw three title fights like they did and Dana White did, they give you bang for the buck. I mean, you know, we love boxing as well. And sometimes, most of the time, you're watching a boxing main event just for 
the main event, right? Yeah. And you might get lucky if you get a good undercard fight or something along those lines. But really, you're just watching for whatever that main attraction is. In the UFC, the beauty of it, especially when you get three title fights, you don't know which fight's going to be the best and which one you're going to be still talking about a couple of days later. On this card, you could talk about any of the five fights that were on the main card, two bizarre fights the way they ended, and then the three title fights. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, I'm sure it's happened in the past, but I literally just noticed this as I was looking at the entire fight card, that every fight mm-hmm. on the main card ended in the finish. Yeah, it's and the first two, obviously, were in bizarre uh, with the leg kicks. But I, I'm sure it's happened, Edgar. But yes, I mean, it was a relatively quick night with the way that these fights finished, starting on the main card with, with Jimmy Crute, where he got the back of his leg kicked. And all of a sudden, in a very close first round, he goes dead leg. I mean, stanky leg, whatever you want to call it. And you're <laughs> oh, going, yeah. what What happened, right? And then he goes back, somehow, finishes the round, actually in a pretty good on-top position after getting a double leg takedown. And he can't walk. He cannot walk back to his corner. And it was grotesque watching it because it looks like – it just looks like he didn't know how his foot worked anymore. But yet, he's still trying to, you know, shake it out in the one minute. People forget – you only get one minute. That's it. And then you got to go back out there. And he literally could not get feeling left back in that. Look, you know, your leg falls asleep. I'm sure we've had that happen. We're not doctors. But I'm sure it was much worse than just your leg falling asleep because it looked like some sort of nerve damage to the back of that knee. And you think, well, that's the power of leg kicks, right? One leg kick properly placed can absolutely end your night. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter, you know, that's the power of the calf kick and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Jimmy Crew couldn't go on and that fight ended and i felt bad for jimmy crude coming all the way from australia he's really a young gun in this division et cetera, et cetera. but the referee made the right decision in not letting him continue no matter no matter how badly he wanted to and then literally the very next fight chris wyman against uriah hall we get the leg kick that nobody wants to see so you go oh. from the one extreme of the leg kick ending the fight to chris wyman breaking his fibula and tibia on Uriah Hall's leg in the very next fight. And gents, I've seen the replay. I didn't want to see it again. I saw it live. It's so <laughs> cringeworthy that I know Lee's has got a, a sick way of looking at this thing. He likes it. I, I, I can't watch it anymore. I've seen it enough, and I can't get the imagery out of my head. I, I don't like it. I'm not wishing injuries upon people <laughs> or anything. <laughs> but I, I do like watching those like type of clips just because it's it's so random and it's his leg looked like Gumby. Like when he took when <laughs> oh he God. took a step back, it just completely like folded upon itself. Yeah, anybody out there if they yeah. haven't seen it and you and you could actually stomach watching it, um, it's a very interesting clip because where we watched it, we didn't have the sound on and. Monday morning, I opened up Twitter and I, I stumbled across the, the video clip of it again. So I opened it oh. up and you could literally hear it snap. I mean, we, we, we've yeah. all seen fights and we can tell when it's it's a slap or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kick landing. It makes a certain like a really hard slapping noise, obviously. But this was just different. Like you can tell that that was <laughs> that, that sound was his bones breaking. And, you, oh. you, you know, it was immediately bad, too, because Anderson Silva, less than I think like five minutes after the fight, posted on Instagram which everyone knows Anderson Silva broke his leg as well against, against Chris Weidman. He actually said, Correct. you know what, I, I hope you have a speedy recovery. I know what you're going to go through, but I know that you're a champ and you're going to fight through this. But that just shows how like severe that exploding leg was for him. 
Oh, it's a great point, Lee's, though, about the spider, because when that happened, and that was in the rematch with Chris Weidman after Weidman had beaten him and shocked the world to win the belt, and then they had the rematch, and Anderson Silva goes to throw that leg kick. Weidman checks it, and he breaks his leg. It's almost identical. And the odds of that happening to the exact same fighter, but in the reverse situation, is so bizarre. And I saw a lot of tweets, you know, that's for the spider. I mean, UFC and MMA, you know, the trolling on there was pretty savage. But I will say that today I saw that he had successful surgery. They said six to 12 months recovery. And I recorded it off my TV because it said Chris Weidman says he plans to train and fight again. And I said, no, 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 no. What? And I put it on Twitter. And guess who liked it? Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman is using that, just like you said, Lee's from Anderson Silva, as motivation to fight. And so now, 24 hours ago, I'm thinking, will we ever see him again? We'll never see the the All-American back out there, the former champion. No, no, no. You're going to see him again. And Spider, he's been fighting for years after that, right? So it's this different mentality that these fighters have. And a shameless plug, I had Ricardo Lamas and uh, CM Punk on my show to uh, for the UFC 261 fight show to, to, to wrap it up. And I asked those guys the same question, like, do you expect to see him out? And both of them said, yeah, absolutely. Like, it shocked me. But they're not shocked at all because they're wired differently. They're not civilians, as I like to call us in the non-fight game. We watch it. We ingest it. We love it. But we don't do it. The guys that do it are actually, and women, are built different mentally and they don't use a leg break, which is as gruesome as devastating you're ever going to see. And look at that as a deterrent. They look at it like motivation. Well, I'd like to retire in my MMA career just because of Chris <laughs> Weidman's injury. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that gruesome, and it was that difficult to watch. But just based on what he's already saying, not even 48 hours later, yeah, now I expect to see him back in the octagon, although it'll be at least a year. He said six to 12 months before he can start training again. Yeah, I feel like calf kicks have been like super prevalent lately. Um, I, I mean, it kind of started with the Dustin Poirier this year, right, where he kind of beat Conor McGregor off yeah. of beating that front leg. Shevchenko and the fight after that fight, after the <laughs> Weidman Uriah Hall, she kicks like a fucking mule. Did you see like... <laughs> like I have no idea how any anybody can like withstand her kicks, let alone like the the variety that she has because she does go calf kick, she goes body, she goes head. Like how can you even stop that? Well, it's so funny you bring that up, Lee, because uh, after watching what happened to Jimmy Crude and then seeing what happened to Chris Weidman, in steps Valentina Shevchenko, and I don't know if you guys know this, but in her training regimen, she oak trees like real oak trees and i don't know that the tree knows that they're in a fight with valentina shevchenko <laughs> but they're not winning but she, like i don't know even again that, that that can be good for your legs but that's what she does and at 125 pounds i mean jessica andrage this is a former champion at 115 she dumped rose namayumas on her head uh back in brazil to win the title right this is a really strong she looked like a baby compared to Valentina Shevchenko in that fight. Wherever the fight went, she was at a disadvantage. You want to stand? That was not working out well for Andrade. Okay, let's get in the clinch. That's where Jessica can use her strength. Nope, that didn't work either. 
and she went for one takedown. Valentina stuffed it and then took her down and got her in a crucifix. A crucifix. You don't see that. That's what, like, when I was a terrible wrestler in junior high, that's what the other wrestlers <laughs> did to me. Right? They put me in the crucifix because it's like, well, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So we'll just put him in a crucifix, stretch his arms out, and uh, just torture him. That's what Valentina Shevchenko did to one of the baddest women in the world in Jessica Andrade on Saturday night. She has no equal at 125 pounds. Good luck to anybody that wants to fight her at that weight class. And, of course, we're all pining for Amanda Nunes and Shevchenko to have a third fight because the first two fights were very, very close and very, very competitive, even though Nunes won both of them. And I get the sense from Dana White that that's not going to happen right away. Really? And you know, talking, to, Yeah, and talking to CM and, uh, and Ricardo, they say the same thing. They're like, no, like you don't need that yet. You can wait on that. It doesn't have to be next. You know, Nunes is the double champ at 35 and 145 pounds. So it's not like she has to stay in, in one division. She can keep going back and forth. It sounds like Valentina is very happy at 125. That's her weight class. Maybe she goes on a Kamaru Usman-like streak at 125 and wins – you know, what, Kamara's won now 14 fights in a row. We'll get to that. But, you know, maybe Valentina just reigns supreme at 125. And then if Amanda keeps winning at 35 and 45, they figure it out somewhere down the road. It was surprising to me that that's not the next fight. But I just don't know what will be and who will be next for Shevchenko because she just looks so overpowering in that division. And you know what? You actually made a great point about the takedowns. That's something that Edgar and I pointed out while we were watching the fight on Saturday as well. She was taking down Andraja at will, and we thought that that was going to be a, a strong suit for Andraja where she was going to try to create it, you know, make it a nasty fight, make it, like you said, in the clinch, try to take her down. But she wasn't mm-hmm. able to take her... Andrade wasn't able to take down Shevchenko at all. And Shevchenko was 7 for 7 in her takedowns. She was, like, ragdolling her at certain points. It was just surprising. Hey, think of that, ladies, because this that was almost like watching John Bones Jones in his prime, right? Where if you were fighting Daniel Cormier back in the day, and he knew that Daniel Cormier was out of at Oklahoma State. So what did John want to do? Beat him at wrestling. Like, that's what I felt like Shevchenko was doing on Don Drosh. Oh, you want me in the clinch? Oh, you want to try to make this a takedown fight? Fight? Fine. I'll take you down seven times. I'll do whatever I want to do in the octagon because there is no place in mixed martial arts that anybody, and I believe Valentina believes this, that there's anybody that has a better skill set than her. I think that that's where she is now. Hands, nobody wants to throw hands with her. You want to make it a kickboxing fight? Good luck with that. Ask Jessica I how that worked (laughs) out for her and and Holly Holm, right? I mean, she has beaten the primo fighters at 35 and 25, not named Amanda Nunes. So, yes, selfishly, I want that trilogy fight to happen again because the first two were so close. But good luck. Like, I, I really do. I tip my cap to women that say, yes, I want to fight Valentina Shevchenko because I don't see how you beat her at 125 pounds. And it's not only her overall game, but she also has the best post-fight celebration with her little <laughs> dance that she does. <laughs> it's not like her calling card. It's like, you know she's going to win. So how good is the dance going to be? It always, she, she just doesn't disappoint. There's nothing about her that I don't enjoy. And, you know, Edgar, you remember back when she fought at the United Center and I got to catch up with her post-fight after she beat Holly Holm. So, like, being in her presence, in, you're kind of in awe of her because 
I saw what she did to Holly Holm that night in Chicago, like four years ago, like in Holly Holm's prime. And Holly Holm is, is one of the best women on the planet. You name the weight class. And Valentina, much smaller, just demoralized her. She did it again to Andras. She demoralizes her opponents. And I think they find out very quickly that she is just – and I always remember this because I was in Vegas that night at UFC 196. Her introduction – think of this, guys. Her introduction to the UFC was Amanda Nunes. That was her first fight. That's highly thought of. The bullet was regarded coming into the UFC. So she loses her first fight to Amanda Nunes in a very close decision that night at UFC 196. And then ultimately gets to fight her for the title at 135 and loses in a very close five-round fight at 135 pounds, right? So she only has two losses. And they are two who we all agree is the goal of women's MMA. Then what is she? If she's right there knocking on the doorstep of Amanda Nunes and she's clearly smaller, 20 pounds smaller than Amanda, who fluctuates 35 to 45 and she's the queen at 125, I mean, that's pretty impressive when you put it in those regards. When you look at it like she's at a physical disadvantage than Amanda Nunes, just the bigger woman is Amanda. And yet she's fought her on her terms pretty darn close twice. I got to see it one more time. Yeah, speaking of rematches, so I know you guys are big fans of Rose. Do you guys think that it's going to be an immediate rematch for herself and Wheelie Zhang? Edgar, what do you think? I think so. I think I think it, it's just out of respect for uh, Wei Li Zhang. Yeah. She def- she won the belt and then she defended it against um, Jin Jae Chek and it was possibly the fight of the oh, year before uh, before all the shutdowns happened for her to come back against Rose. And I don't want to call it a fluky kick or or anything like that for Rose because we all know we see how hard she trains, how effective she is. But to me, it it, it just feels like a rematch is in order pretty quick here. I, I agree. I, I think that Wei Li. Uh, I've heard some talk of maybe she fights uh, Joanna again because Joanna was regarded as the best champion in the history of the one one fifteen pound division, right? Some schools of thought are let's have Joanna fight Wei Li again because it was such an epic first encounter, and then the winner gets the shot at Rose. Well, okay, but that theory is excuse me is that Wei Li is ready to go again right away. That was a pretty nasty head kick. She was knocked unconscious. Yeah, she was I mean, out. she yeah, was she out. out. So, so, like, do we wait on Wei Li to be medically and, you know, mentally ready to go again? And then does she really have to fight Ioana again? Or can we get that rematch with Rose? You know, Rose got the rematch with Jessica Andrade after Andrade had lost the belt to Wei Li. So you do kind of get this round robin effect uh, going on here. And I do think it's fair. I mean, Wei Li had been on a 22-fight win streak, undefeated in the UFC. She did have COVID issues that she had to deal with uh, before. And then she had to come all the way across here to this live crowd. And I'll tell you this. You know, it, look, it's it's the sport. I get it. She's from China. Rose is American, from Milwaukee. And I, I do feel – and, and I, I noticed it when she got booze on the intro. After Bruce Buffer was introducing her. She, you can see it in her face. She kind of looks to the crowd like, why are you booing me? And, you know, this is the Americana. This is the way we, we treat a lot of our fighters, right? We, we tend to do the hockey against uh, Drago thing a lot in this country. And I'm not, I mean, it's just part of it. But I think it affected her. And I was a little bit surprised that it affected her. Like, I think she was taken aback by it. So I'm not saying that the crowd helped Rose win the fight because they couldn't go in there and throw that 
beautiful high kick to knock her out. But I, I do feel like it was a, something she wasn't ready for because it's the first time, I think, at least in her UFC career, where she felt like, whoa, what, what's wrong with me? Why don't they like me? And why are they rooting so much more for Rose? So, look, Rose is, when she's mentally tough and with Trevor Whitman, her coach, I've never, and Pat Berry, of course, her fiance, I've never seen her in following her career from its infancy. I've never seen her this mentally strong. And when she believes that she's the best woman on the planet, she, skills-wise, to me, there's no question. So, Whaley, even at, before the head kick, was not winning the striking battle, which, which Whaley did against Joanna. I don't think she would have won that striking battle with Rose. But when you mix in the kicks, it's going to be very problematic for anybody else at 115. But yes, I do think Weili Zhang deserves a rematch. I just don't know if it's next. And if somebody else is ready to go, you know, Rose didn't put in a whole lot of work. So I'm sure she didn't take too much damage. So I'm sure Rose would be ready to go sooner rather than later. And I get the feeling now, the first time around, remember this, guys. She's the first, think of this, the first UFC champion in any weight class to regain their belt. That's rather astounding. So the first time around, she seemed like she wasn't cool with it. She wasn't comfortable being champion. This time around, I think it's going to be very different. I think she, is, she knows who she is. She believes in who she has in her corner. And I think that the, the girl that from Milwaukee who kind of had to grow up into this woman – has grown into this woman that knows her talent, knows what she has on the inside, what she's put in to get to this point. I don't see Rose Namajunas going away anytime soon. And you know what? You keep bringing up the mental toughness portion. That is something that Rose has been very vocal about is making sure that everyone knows that she does have self-doubt, things of that nature. I mean, there was a big Twitter post about her corner man hyping her up um, and kind of telling mm-hmm. her, telling her, you're the best in the world. Believe in yourself. You're the best in the world. I think before that, she's actually going to take the time off and kind of mentally prepare because I'm sure it's a high. She's going to have to drop down again, like mentally, yeah. because it's it's such an exhilarating thing that happened. She's going to go back down, and then she's going to have to rebuild herself. And I think that's going to give Weili Zhang enough time to kind of compose herself medically as opposed to not mentally. And I think that's why. It, I think they're going to have a rematch. And if you think about it, money-wise, China is a huge country. So they are going to try to make that into the... I, I think they're going to make that into a main event fight. And they're going to try to sell out huge crowds if they can, whenever they can, just to try to get that China buying public. Well, that's a great point. And think of this, guys, right? When Jessica Andrade beat Rose Namajunas, where was it? Brazil. Brazil. Right? In front of Jessica's crowd. And the, the emotion of that night. When Weili Zhang beat Jessica Andrade, uh, where was that? That was in China, right? And so now, where did Rose beat Weili? In the United States. So whether or not we as analysts slash fans really take in that dynamic, that's why I noted it from Weili. Because I, I did sense it. Before they started fighting, I went, wow, she, she seems bothered. And I wonder if Rose was bothered by that, even though she won't admit it in Brazil. I wonder if Jessica Andrade was bothered by that, even though she probably won't admit it in China. And there's nothing wrong with the home countries rooting for their fighters. That's natural. That's what we, we all do. So I, I'm not going to blame you know, the, the Chinese for coming out in support of their fighter. I'm not going to b- blame the Brazilians for coming out and supporting their fighter. And therefore, I'm not going to b- blame the Americans for coming out and voting and rooting for their fighter 
based on the flag that they carry around them. It is a weird dynamic that unless you go to those countries, like Wei Li Zhang had to do to come here, I don't think we can fully understand it as much as the fighters can actually feel that. If they did that fight in China, how crazy an atmosphere would that be for Rose? Could she mentally handle it going to China as public enemy number one? That would be very, very interesting, especially after her comments on communism, not on Wei Li Zhang, but on communism, which I know rubs some people here in the United States the wrong way. It didn't bother me, but I know it bothered some to think, why play that into it? Well, she's a Lithuanian American. She has her own uh, personal beliefs and, and feelings about communism. And that's why she said, she said nothing against Wei Li Zhang. It's about the country that she fights for, that she doesn't have a choice in that matter, let's be honest. And you know what? You bring up a, a great point that fighting in different in different countries definitely changes the outcome of the fight in some ways because just mental toughness. Dana White actually brought up the fact that he wants to have a card in Africa, which Kamaru mm-hmm. Usman, he's trying to have it so that either Kamaru Usman and Ganu or Israel Adesanya can headline it. I mean, Usman had an incredible knockout on Saturday. <laughs> And that's that's going to be if they have a card in Africa. Imagine if they have those three welterweight, middleweight, and heavyweight championship of the world on that card. Oh my! Yeah, that card would uh, well, be massive. Uh, <laughs> that would almost have to be like a two day event, like have a Friday night event and a Saturday WrestleMania night event. of UFC. Exactly <laughs> the two night event. Well, I'm not kidding. I just got chills because what it makes me think of is 1974 in Zaire, where Muhammad Ali. Uh, fought George Foreman. And if, you, if you've ever, like, if you're a fight fan and you haven't gone back and watched that fight yet, just go do it. It's there. It's available to you. I know ESPN Classics got it. And they do the, they do the live call from that night. I think it was Dan Dumphy who was doing it uh, ringside. And you hear the fans in Africa chanting, Ali, Bumbaye, Ali, Bumbaye. And what that means is, Ali, kill him. Ali, kill him. And George Foreman has talked about it. He's been quite candid about it through the decades that he felt like he like a voodoo. He said, somebody put a spell on me in Africa. <laughs> like, could you imagine trying to fight Kamaru Usman or Francis Ngannou in Africa with that fan base? Dana White's going to do that. He's got to do it. It would be such a showstopper. And again, I, I kid about Rocky Four and Rocky Three and all these fights, but – that's why those movies, you, there's so much realism in them because that's what happens when you go to these different countries and fight in their land. Their people turn out. Floyd Mayweather is the master marketer. Why? Because he'd always fight a Mexican fighter on Cinco de Mayo. He knows what he's doing and he knows that he's going to generate that, that interest. Floyd is one of the few guys I've ever seen be able to turn that negative energy into positive energy for him and win all those fights. Could another UFC fighter go to Africa and beat Francis Ngannou, beat uh, Kamaru Usman? Good luck. It's just a different world experience, but it's one that I'd be fascinated to see happen. Who do you even think in that division has a chance right now? Because on this rematch with Usman versus Masvidal, I feel like Usman showed his stand-up has gotten significantly better even from the first fight. Everyone thought that he was going to try to just take down Masvidal, make it a boring fight. He knocked the shit out of Masvidal. Like, let's be, <laughs> yeah. let's be serious. <laughs> and that this is going to rise his star, too, because Masvidal had a big name coming in, and now he knocks him out. The world gets to see it. So who the hell can I actually even give any type of fight to Usman? 
Well, it's it's a great question. And here's the thing. You just nailed it, Lee, on the exposure part. Everybody knew how good Kamaru Usman was, right? Everybody saw what he did to Gilbert, uh, Gilbert Burns, which I think opened up a lot of eyes in his last fight. It was a two-round knockout. Uh, you know, he beat Colby Covington, which was a great fight the first time around. I did go five. He stopped him in the fifth round after breaking his jaw in the fourth. There were his hands. He hurt Gilbert Burns with his hands. But I think a lot of people thought, all right, well, those were kind of wrestlers, BJJ guys. You don't do that against another boxer. And in steps Jorge Masvidal. In steps Street Jesus. In steps a guy who had never <laughs> been knocked out in the history of MMA. Forget about the UFC. Jorge Masvidal had never been knocked out. So when you saw right before the knockout, Masvidal smiling, hands down, right? He did not believe that Kamaru Usman could knock him out, period. And I'll tell you this. At the end of the first round, Usman got a takedown. Masvidal got up. And then they got in the clinch. And Masvidal was going to work. And I remember I tweeted this out right after the first round. I said, round one goes to Usman, but beware, he's getting caught in the hands game with Jorge. Little did I know, it was the other way around. Jorge was getting caught up in, in Usman's hands game. And that's the surprise of the fight. Not that Usman won, but that he had better hands than Jorge Masvidal. Nobody has better hands at 170 pounds than Jorge Masvidal. And to be able to do that, and that's why I was really appreciative of Masvidal's post-fight interview where he said, look, I got nothing to say. Tip my cap to the guy. I didn't know he had that kind of power. And he said he didn't show it to me the first time around. So he really didn't feel his power the first time. He felt it the second time. And you should put that picture in the Louvre where you see <laughs> the, the, the sweat coming off and Masvidal out cold before he hits the ground. It is a thing of just barbaric beauty. And it's what I love about mixed martial arts because you're expecting a takedown. What do you get? A knockout. That's the beauty of MMA. So do you have Covington in the next fight for Usman? I do. And, and again, you know, I know people say what they want about Colby Covington and they have the right to say it because he gives people plenty of fodder to not <laughs> like him. Right. And Edgar, we had him in our studios at stadium and, you know, we had him on our old show, sauce and tram and, he was actually a toned down version of himself. So like, you know, he's playing the game and he's trying to do the Floyd Mayweather put on the black hat. Well, he's put it on one too many times. And I think he's really truly rubbed people the wrong way a lot. I didn't get that sense when we had him on our show that he was truly that bad a guy. But when you give people enough reasons to not like you, they don't like him. So I think that fight will have to be made. But if you do go back and watch the first fight, it was very competitive. Yeah, It was yeah. very competitive until his jaw got broke. And I give Colby a lot of props. Again, you got a broken jaw, and you go out there for the fifth round. That's impressive. But he just couldn't take any more shots. I mean, he, he was done at that point. But again, that's where I really started to realize that Usman has become this such a well-rounded welterweight champion that when you talk in historical context, is he now better than George St. Pierre? I think you make a strong claim that if he beats Colby Covington for a second time, he will have beaten everybody there is. I mean, the last guy he hasn't beaten yet is Leon Edwards. No disrespect to Leon Edwards. But it's not like <laughs> it's not like we're clamoring to go, oh, you got to fight Leon Edwards to prove you're the best welterweight of all time. I think if he, if he mollywops Colby Covington like the way he did Jorge Masvidal, I just don't know what else there is for him to prove. And I will tell you guys this, and this is something we talked about with Ricardo and CM Punk. If he does beat Covington relatively easy, 
I think he then has the cachet because you guys are right. The exposure he got from, from doing this in front of a packed house in the first live event for the UFC with fans. Really, I mean, his Q rating is through the roof right now with the UFC. He could then say to Dana White, I want a super fight. I want a super fight. I want Connor. I want Nate Diaz. And for him, he'll think that's easy work. But give me a big money fight. If Usman can now be built into this kind of Nganu-like superhero in his weight class of being unbeatable at 170, think of the money Dana White, the UFC, can generate by saying, all right, we're going to feed Conor McGregor to you. We're going to feed the BLM belt. You know, we're, we're, you, you, you should have probably gotten it for, for beating Masvidal anyway. But after, if he does get through Colby Covington, which I'm not saying it's a guarantee that he does, but he will be highly favored. If he gets through that, watch for a super fight, especially if Nate Diaz does beat Leon Edwards. You know what? That's a great point because McGregor actually already came out and started talking shit on Twitter to Usman saying that he actually oh, he did. He sure yeah. did, yep. He said that he you took my punch because he, he showed a, a left hand that he landed and then it looked very similar. And Usman was Usman was like, "You're losing to people at 155. Like <laughs> you, you can't you can't move up and wait. Like it's not the same. I knock people out. You're not even touching people right now." That's such a great point. Hey, look, I love Connor staying relevant, right? We know he's got the rematch with, with the diamond coming up with Dustin Poirier, but I mean, to Usman's point there. And Dustin Poirier is a great fighter. I mean, he's a great fighter, okay? But we saw what happened when, when, when Poirier fought Abib. We've seen when everybody who's fought Abib, what's happened, right? So really, Usman is the Habib of 170. Really, the best fight out there, if you want to be honest, would be Habib against Kamaru Usman to come up from 155 and fight. Think of that stylistic matchup. Because what was Usman before he started knocking cats out? He's the best wrestler at 170. What does it be at 155? Could you imagine that stylistic approach of arguably the two best wrestlers? Well, let's just say the two best fighters ever in their respective weight classes meeting in the middle. I'll see it 160. What's the math? 163? Something like that. I mean, you could figure out a way to do a catch weight. Have Habib come out of retirement. I know they respect each other. They like each other and all that stuff. But, you know, like Floyd said, if it makes dollars, it makes sense. Could you imagine a super fight of Habib coming out of retirement against the undefeated best welterweight in the history of the UFC? That's going to generate some interest if you can get Habib out of retirement. We're going to have to tweet Dana White your idea right now. (laughs) (laughs) We get a cut. Yeah, we got to get something for that because – I just think that that is – it's too good a fight not to make if you really – look, what was the UFC founded on? It really wasn't on weight classes. It was on whoever is the best fighter, who's the best fighter. Well, let's see the greatest 155-er against the greatest 170-er of all time do battle for whatever belt you want to give them. Good Lord, that's truly what the origins of the sport were all about, figuring out who is the best mixed martial artist. Yeah, Kamaru Usman is definitely on a whole nother level right now, and which is puzzling to me why he continues to say stuff like "put some respect on my name." And you see now, it's like, yeah, Kamaru, we, we've we've seen you fight, man. You're you're a beast. But let's go to the other side <laughs> with uh, with Street Jesus, a guy that's been kind of skating off a flying knee for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's taking a couple tough losses now, but do you see 
a way for Jorge Masvidal to kind of get back in the picture somehow? Or like, what kind of opponent would he need to to take over? I, Edgar, I, I don't. I, I was trying to think of a pathway to get back there. I think your, your point about the Ben Askren knee is really well taken. Look, I love Street Jesus. I mean, he's just—he's a compelling figure. He's a fan favorite. He's never beaten a top ten welterweight. Let's—I mean, let's call it what it is, right? When he beat yeah. Darren Till, Darren Till wasn't even ranked, you know, in the 170 pounders. And I think that's why people got excited because they thought, "Wow, he did that to Darren Till, right?" Well, Darren Till's a great, really good fighter. Ben Askren, a lot of hype around his name. But really, his best win is Nate Diaz. And Nate Diaz has never been ranked as a top 10 welterweight, okay? So when you really start to stack up the credentials that Jorge Masvidal has, he doesn't really have them. He doesn't have them now after a vicious loss like that. And the first fight with, with Usman was not competitive when they fought on Fight Island. And I get it. It was on six days notice. And like Usman said, he did have some built-in excuses. And I thought they were valid. There was no excuse for this. You got beat, you got knocked out, and let's be honest, you didn't look great in the process of getting Molly Lopped in that second round. So is there a pathway for a guy on the wrong side of 30 to get back up there to a title contention? Well, the good news is when you're a named fighter in the UFC like Conor McGregor, you can lose some fights and still get probably some unfair advantages because Dana, you know, he'll admit it, he plays favorites because the favorites – that he's playing, earn him money and earn the company money. So in that regard, he's got a chance like Nate Diaz, like Nick Diaz is going to come back. When John Jones came back, they jumped the queue because of who they are. Masvidal will always probably have that power and that star power. And Dana, this is what I kind of like about him. He makes no bones about it. The fighters that have, quote, unquote, taken care of him, he then conversely takes care of them. So I'm sure if Masvidal says, give me – you know, if Nate wants a rematch for the BLM belt, let's do that again, right? Uh, you can see scenarios where he says to Dana White, give me this fight. But for a title, I think that's really a stretch. You know which fight I think would be main event worthy because it would be just violence? And he's a top six uh, welterweight. <laughs> M- put Masvidal in with Vicente Luque. But if you want somebody just to get straight up murdered, yeah, that's a fight tonight. <laughs> Because you you know it's, you know it's going to stay up standing because Luke likes throwing bombs too. So it would, and he's a top six, so that that'd be your top ten uh, welterweight right there. His first win for Masvidal yeah. if he could get through it. I love that idea. It's a fantastic idea. And I tell you the other thing I love about the sport. There's so many things, but the fact that like you know Masvidal was saying before the fight, I'm going to murder you. No other sport <laughs> can you say that, and nobody bats an eye. Nobody gets that. You know, all bent out of shape. They, you know, they, they hog it out after the fight. But he was I'm going to murder this dude, and nobody thought twice about it. That's what I love about MMA, that these guys get it so worked up that they can use language like this. And guess what? That's the mentality you got to have. And if Luke fought Masvidal, somebody's getting murked. Somebody's going out in that fight, <laughs> no doubt about it. Dave, I do want to ask you one more thing before uh, we get you out of here, and that's your opinion on the – I saw you tweeting over the weekend like we all were excited watching the Dodgers and Padres series. Oh, my God. But I want to play you something that Trevor Bauer said. No, I want to, I want to say something about that because I think it's important. Um, you know, he did it in the first. I didn't see it because I was paying attention to doing my job. And then he did it again when he homered off me again later in the game. Their dugout was doing it. Um, and I, I like it. 
I, I think that pitchers who have that done to them and react by throwing at people or, you know, getting upset and hitting people or whatever, I think, uh, I think it's pretty soft. Um, if you give up a homer, a guy should celebrate it, you know. He, it's hard to hit in the big leagues. Uh, so I'm all for it, and I think it's, it's important that, you know, the game moves in that direction and we stop throwing at people because they celebrated having some success on the field. Now, Dave, me, you, and uh, some guy from ESPN, Tyler Folgerm, <laughs> I think his name is. Yeah, we've had many of conversations in the green room about <laughs> the way baseball polices itself on the field. Now, what are your thoughts after watching another great weekend series between oh. the Padres and the Dodgers? Well, first of all, it's the best series going in baseball. Who saw that coming? It used to be Red Sox-Yankees for years, right? I mean, this is amazing to see two Southern California teams generating this kind of interest for baseball, which has become such a regional sport, right? You follow the teams in your town, and you don't necessarily follow it across all of America. I think the Dodgers and Padres did a really good job of changing that conversation over the the first couple weeks of this season. I think it's great for the game that it's generating interest way outside, all the way to the East Coast, for what you're seeing on the West Coast. So, one, I'm all for that. Two – it's a very interesting thing that when you really parse what he said, what Trevor Bauer said there, because I look, you know me, I'm all for everything. You want to celebrate and you want to do bat flips and you want to dance and, and you know, do uh, cartwheels up, up and down the first baseline on the way around the back. I'm, I love it. I love every second of it. I have the stutter step that Tatis does before he gets the third. All that stuff. I think it's all great. I don't think you should throw it, guys. All I've ever said is pitchers – pitchers get attitudes and they get sensey and then they throw a guy. So all I've ever said is don't dig in too tightly the next time you come up because pitchers are babies. I can't <laughs> tell you, I can't tell you how to react. I like the way Trevor Bauer is reacting saying he wouldn't do that. I never encourage anybody beating anybody. All I've ever said as a realist is know that pitchers are babies, know that they're sensitive and know sometimes other guys in the team tell him, you gotta, he's got to wear one for what he did last time, right? The old school unwritten rules of baseball. I'm not for that. All I'm saying is that's what happens. Now, if you really listen to what Trevor Bauer said, here's where I have an issue with it. Okay? Sounds all great. Oh, I'm all for it. It's good for the game. Yeah, I would never throw guys. He accused them of cheating right from the get-go. And he tries to slide that under the cover of, oh, I'm so cool with it. This is good for the game. And if he wants to do all that, I'm fine. We should stop throwing it, guys. Dude, you accused him of cheating. Not once, twice. And you accused all the Padres of cheating. I saw him look back. I didn't notice it the first time because I was doing my job. And then I saw it the <laughs> second time and the dugout was doing it. It's a very cute way of Trevor Bauer calling them cheaters but trying to do it while still patting himself on the back. I'm not buying it, dude. You – until you give me proof that Tatis is looking back and that they're really sign stealing, he just worked you. He got the better of you. That, if you really want to tip your cap, do it that way. Don't do it with the insinuation that they cheated in order to take you deep. That's the problem I have with Trevor Bauer's comments. Well, there was a video of Tatis peeking down, like literally right before he hit that, his second home run, right. I think. Well, do you think he was looking to see where the catcher was setting up? Do you think he was literally looking for the sign? 
do you think – I mean, there, there could be a number of possibilities of what he was actually doing in that freeze frame, which people took, yeah. of him what appears to take a glance down. Probably setting up, I would guess. Yeah, I think guys try to take a quick peek to see where the catch is setting up to get location, right? I mean, but, if you look like, down at the hands, you can't really tell exactly what he's putting down unless you're really staring down there. Edgar, look. I don't like if guys want to cheat. If I'm putting this in air quotes, you can't see this at all. If guys want to cheat, okay. As long as it's not the Astros' way of banging and having a systematic way of relaying signs, that's above and beyond. Baseball had the oldest acronym, you know, the oldest saying in the world: "If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." Right? They've been flashing signs from second base back to the hitter for the live long day. That's been ingrained in the sport of baseball. So if you're dumb enough as a catcher and a pitcher as a battery to not switch up your signs when you know somebody's on second base that, that knows what's going on, you've got to outsmart them. That's part of the game of baseball. So I don't have any problem with a hitter trying to sneak a peek at location. I don't have any problem with a guy at second base trying to relay it back to the hitter. If they've got some sort of system just between them, if it works, it works. Then you got to realize it. you got to switch the system. As long as it's not systematically – like the Astros were doing with technology app, you know, what was it? Apple phones that the Red Sox were accused of doing like that stuff to me is the stuff that's so far out of bounds of the basics of baseball that I really have a problem with. So, you know, a guy looks down at the catcher gets mad. We saw it with Jason Veritek and a rod years ago with the Red Sox and Yankees and Veritek jacked him up for it for looking down. Right. So guess what? If you got a problem with Tatis looking down, who is it, Austin Barnes, the catcher? Stand up and say something. Turn about don't accuse them through the media. If you got a problem with them, deal with it right then and there. That's what I want to see. I've seen many a catcher through the years stand up to a hitter and say, hey, dude, you better stop looking down because if you do, you're going to wear one next time. Padres, Dodgers, pay-per-view. I'm, I'm <laughs> buying it. <laughs> I love this stuff, man. I love the little inside baseball, you know. But, again, I just don't like when you throw those things out there veiled as compliments. I mean, Trevor Bauer veiled that as a compliment to Tatis and the Padres while accusing both of them, the team and the player, of cheating. That's a rather harsh accusation. Yeah, I think maybe not, Yeah, like you said, not popping them right away, but definitely stand up and say, like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, Let him know. If you're calling him out like that, sure. And yes, just, just that's, keep, all, that's all I'm advocating for. Keep it on the field, uh, honestly. Like, I'm I'm okay with him talking shit. Um, and I think that's what we argued last time. If if this started to happen, would there be more fights? I, I actually, after looking at it, I don't think there would be more fights. I'm actually going to retract. I, I thought there would be, so I'm wrong on my last take. Um, score one for Agder. What? I but, won one? I yeah. won one here? <laughs> but... <laughs> But that show was awesome. I mean, he took it like a man. He said, you know what? Next time I'm going to strike you out, and I'm going to do the sword the sword celebration whenever I strike one of you guys out. I, I mean, he, you guys said it already, though. It's just keep it on the field. Stepping babies. Yeah, yeah I'm, just, I'm just all for celebrations in any way, and I've always been for them. I was the king of the bat flip when it started, right? But my only thing I've always said is you can't tell people how to react. So when you tell a pitcher, and this is where – our old buddy, we used to disagree with me and Tyler was, Tyler would say, well, you're advocating for throwing at guys. And I'm like, no, I'm not advocating it. What I'm telling you is you can't tell babies not to be sensitive. <laughs> They're going to be sensitive. So if I'm in Fernando Tatis Jr. 
I'm probably not digging in too tightly the next time I face Bauer or somebody else just because I know the history of pitchers and it's not a good one and they're normally babies and they normally throw at you. That's why I'm probably not digging in too tightly. Not saying throwing at them. I'm just saying that's the reality of what you saw with Tim Anderson and the Royals a couple of years ago. I'm not advocating for that. That's what pitchers, not saying it's right, it's just a fact of how they normally react. That's Dave Ross. You can follow him on Twitter at DRossSports. You can also catch him at Watch Stadium, and you can watch his UFC 261 recap airing Tuesday, April 27th at WatchStadium.com, where he's joined by Ricardo Lamas and Phil Brooks. Dave, man, thanks for the time, and we appreciate you having on. You guys are the best. Anytime I expect the invite to the next UFC fight viewing. We're having it at your place, man. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Get the popcorn ready, Dave. (laughs) That was Dave Ross. Again, follow him on Twitter at DRossSports. You can catch him at Watch Stadium covering the UFC. Yeah, you know, he he had some great points as well when when speaking to him. This is the magic of radio. Uh, (laughs) It's time loop, so this we did that first beforehand. (laughs) Shut up. Order that shit, you know. Don't tell them. <laughs> but no, I mean, he he made some great points, especially the awesome thing of having a fight card outside in Africa uh, that Dana White wants to do, and also a possible super fight of Kamara versus Khabib. That shit would be awesome. Man, I, I don't know. I know the goal is that Dana wants to have that super fight, but I mean that super card. But man, who when you got those three champions, how do you what what order could you possibly put them on? Ngannou has to be the, the showstopper, right? Heavyweight. I feel like heavyweights always matter a little bit more. And plus, he yeah. might kill someone in the fucking octagon. I guess for me, it just depends on the opponent. Like, if, if you got Kamaru and Khabib, that could be, I could see that being the main event. Yeah, that'd be huge. I don't think they would put Khabib out there, though, in Africa. I feel like that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I feel like Adesanya would be the third one on the card, just because he's coming off of L. Right. Even right. though it was in a... Well, if they make it right away, yeah, yeah, but... Especially if they have it outside, like they did for the fight in Zaire between Ali and uh, George Foreman, that should be awesome. I mean, it gives it a little bit extra bump when fights just look cooler when they're outside. I know it sounds <laughs> like a dumb, dumb sports brain, but they just seem cooler. It'd probably be hot as shit for the fighters. but Yeah, it's probably not going to be ideal conditions for UFC. Yeah, they had the first card with actual fans out there uh, on Saturday. And even from going to like the Sox game on Sunday, um, it, it was limited seating so it felt a little bit different uh just because there's actually seats that were sectioned off you can't sit down in okay uh so it's a little bit weird uh but it felt fucking awesome being out there in person yeah i gotta get i gotta go to a game either over there or at wrigley but yeah especially now since it's getting nicer i think yeah. it's gonna be 85 tomorrow or today when this podcast come yeah right. i kind of miss just being out in here and it's just different plus the booze and Dave said it too. You can tell those fighters they just they were feeding off that energy. And yeah, I'd like to think that me cheering on for Kopik got him at least one of those ten strikeouts. You know, how come you weren't cheering on Cap? Which is what I wanted yeah, to bring up. Cap. Just <laughs> wanted wanted to bring up because uh, in addition to you attending the game on Sunday, Cap, you went with Cap and Javi, and they attempted the nine 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 challenge. Yes, and for those that don't know, nine 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 that is nine beers, nine hot dogs, and nine innings. Oof. And I think the rule is you actually have to finish them per inning. You can't. I don't think you're supposed to like get ahead of it. Yeah. Um, because that that leaves it a little bit more up to chance. Because if it's a quick inning, you're like, fuck, I got to chug this. I got to eat this hot dog. Um, if you guys have me on Snapchat, I was documenting most of it. 
<laughs> every inning that Cap was doing it, I would actually take a, a video of him. I would say he hit a wall around the fifth inning. Let's say that. I mean, it when you say it out loud, it sounds doable, especially when like you know people think of a baseball game and they're like, "Oh, it's so baseball long. innings take forever. You should be able to kill nine beers and eat, eat, eat what nine hot dogs. It should be no problem." When you kind of stop and think about it, that's a lot of food. A lot nine of hot dogs food. is a lot of food. Yeah, and the beers, just, yeah, you'll be pretty drunk. But uh, the we it'll f- just add to the fullness. Yeah, we also fucked up because we pre-gamed. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Wait, did you decide to do the nine 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 once you got there? No, so I said it jokingly. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do the nine 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 today." And Cap was originally like, "Fuck that, I'm not gonna do that." And then once game day actually came, he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm down. I'm gonna try it." But you know, you, he knew going in. He knew going in. So why are you guys pre-gaming then? Don't you always pre-game before you go to a game? You don't change yeah. it up, you know? Yeah. All right, Cap, you got to do it again. I don't care if... Did he, did he finish it? No, so he actually got seven hot dogs in. Or sorry, seven beers in. Seven hot dogs in. He was eating the eighth. That's impressive. Yeah, he was eating the eighth in the eighth inning. And <laughs> he had to excuse himself to go throw up. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh man! Shout out Caps Insides <laughs> coming coming out. Cap, I want to. All right, Cap, if you're listening, man, call the show, leave a message on your experience with the nine 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 challenge. Um, but I think you got to do it again, and you actually got to kind of prepare for it. You know what? I dead ass think we should put that on like the app Instagram. We should, and actually just do piece by piece, first inning, second inning, because I will say it was a fucking hit on my Snapchat. There, yeah. there, there were people I that know I messaged you because I was like, man, Cap looks a little queasy there. Yeah. Be all right. People that don't even know Cap around like the fifth, sixth inning started to like Cheer uh, him res- on. Res- cheering him on for one. And he just visibly looked fatter from like the fifth <laughs> inning. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's like it, how somehow he instantly put weight on. <laughs> and he also started looking more drunk and like defeated as a human being. Like. But it was it was fucking hilarious. I feel like it'd be awesome if we did something like that game day live. We'll fucking yap. So now we're now we have to do it. Yeah, put it on Instagram. And now that it's on record, do you guys want to see a dead body? And it's on the, <laughs> it's on the yeah, it's on the internet. You're calling the show out to it, do the nine 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 challenge. Yeah, no one ever lies on the internet. Nope. So now we got to do it. Oh man. Uh, I honestly think I'd what, try it. You'd try it. I'd try it. So would I? I, think, I don't think I'd finish though. I think neither would I, but I think the way that you have to go about it is start eating a shit ton, Bef- get, get your, not beforehand, oh, but like, get your yeah, body yeah, used yeah. to it. And then the day of what you got to do is like wake up early, have like a small light breakfast and Tribe like, coffee co with, with a cup of cup, cup of, of coffee, Joe. cup of coffee to wake up before you head out to the ballpark and then go to the gym beforehand. So you can expend some energy and uh, you get hungry yeah i started thinking about uh, ways to get this because then you'll be able yeah, to but now you're headed to the ballpark on a empty stomach and you're gonna start pounding beers yeah but your body can uh use alcohol as energy let's fucking go <laughs> <laughs> i think we tried i think we make a show outing i know we talked about multiple show outings right. on this show but uh the 999 challenge is uh definitely something i'm i kind of want to try Yep, and we still have Friday. We have to go watch the Bulls versus Bucks right. at uh. So if you want to let us, you know, if you want to know what bar we're talking about, you have to hit us up. Hit us up for shirts if you're interested. <laughs> Damn, 
No fucking lube on that intro. Nope. nope. Hit us up for shirts if you saw it. Uh, if you're curious, hit us up. We'll post it again, or we'll send you a we'll send you a snap or an Instagram post showing it off again. But yeah, we got shirts. We got coffee. Tribecoffeecode.com promo code Yabshiver ten percent off. Leave a, leave us a voicemail too if you want to find out where we're actually going to be going. Leave us a voicemail. 312-985-6006. Cap, I want you to call. Let me, let me know what your experience with the 9x9 challenge. Follow the show at YapChicago underscore on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me, Edgar Perez, at EP773 underscore on Instagram and Twitter. Lee's EF, baby. It's, uh, for Twitter, it's Lee's 922. For Instagram, just look me up by my government name. Stuff to look forward to this week. We got the Bears drafting. On Thursday, when we record the next podcast, so Friday's episode of... Might have some shots of Montezuma in there. (laughs) We're either going to be really happy or really sad, but by the Bears' track record, we're probably going to be a little sad. Hashtag we traded up. Oh, boy. All right. Well, we'll see what happens Thursday's episode. Make sure you tune in Friday. And we uh, wanted to be respectful for the Bulls since they're fucking dead. We don't want to talk about them today. (laughs) No, we're definitely going to... Well, well, we're going to put them in bed in a later episode. But, uh, yeah, the Bulls' hopes for the season. No, no very good looking. At least in my book. I think they're, I think, I think the Bulls are pretty much done. So we'll see what they got with 12 games left here. But for Lee's, I'm Edgar. This is Yap Chicago. See you guys on Friday. <laughs> <laughs>